My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, everybody calls me PD. Everybody say, what's up, PD? What's up with you? Uh, I was away last week, and I got to say, um, I say this all the time, but I just want to make sure it's coming through. I missed you guys last week. I, you know, I, I get to get, get in other churches and do different things, and um, even in just this last cu- couple of days, I was at a conference in the Cape, and I'm telling you, we got the best church. I'm just telling you. Turn to your neighbor, give him a little fist pump, a little church pride, a little church pride, a little church pride. It's all good. <laughs> hey, if you're new to Connect, we just want to welcome you. I also want to welcome all our Facebook viewers. Can we give them a, a hello? What's up? So glad. We know that you're watching from all over the place, and we're so glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, what a beautiful day, huh? Let's just, let's just get our Bibles. Let's just go outside in the parking lot and just sit on the pavement, okay? Like, I'm ready for some sun. I'm ready for some sun, son. Anyway, um, I uh, am not that excited to introduce this topic today, but uh, I have a hot topic today to talk about, and this will all make sense in a second. I had a towel in the first service because it was so hot in here. I don't know what happened to my towel. But um, I want you to get your worship guides out. We're going to get right into it today. I promise by the end of this service, you're going to learn something. You're going to see something you didn't see before and experience something you haven't experienced before. And uh, as, as by way of introduction, uh, we're going to call this a hot topic. It'll pop in a second. But let me say, uh, for this service, I am authorizing the use of the word hail. Okay? So you can say it in this service. Okay? So... Um, it just it just make things go a lot easier. Today, our focus is on the unpopular but often pondered subject of hail. Turn to your neighbor and say, hail. hail. You didn't think you could do that in church, but like I said, it's authorized today. Uh, I'm going to get right into it. There are many misconceptions about this subject. Got to leave with my chin. Uh, some people think with regards to this that... You know, the end of your life, you just go into this place, this space of nothingness, where we're simply cease to exist, cease to feel, cease to hear. Um, in essence, many people believe it's just not real. It's just not real. That's some people. Uh, another group of people believe that, um, you know, if it is real, it's okay because I'm already living in hell, so it can't be that bad. So there's a bunch of people that believe that, okay? And you hear that. You hear that in people's conversations, um, uh, you know, some people think that, and this is a, another grouping, uh, pol- believe that hell simply represents evil. It's more a symbolic uh, term. It's, it's more a myth, but it provides kind of uh, maybe some boundaries for our morality. Uh, in this lane, some people don't, people think that your choices don't really affect the afterlife. That what you do in this life doesn't affect or has no consequence in the afterlife. And as a result, people with this true conviction live their life accordingly. In other words, if you don't believe in an afterlife, there's no implications for the way you live your life now, why not enjoy it? Why not enjoy it? Why not? If you're just going to be buried six feet under and that's it, have a ball. And I actually sort of respect these people because they're living in accordance with their, uh, with their convictions. Now, lastly, I believe there's a grouping, and I think this is more popular or more common. Most have opinions or hopes, or hidden thoughts regarding this subject, but they, they only come out when they need it most, and sometimes uh, under duress and stress. Most people are withholding their thoughts and beliefs about this, and this has external pressures that are, are connected to this. Now, 
I have, if you're new to Connect and you're hearing this, you're like, holy smokes, I'm coming in first time and, you know, it's hellfire and brimstone. I thought we got rid of this in the dark ages. Uh, let, me, let me just say, I have like this little one-two punch style. So like, I will tickle, 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 bam, you know, so, so for a little tickle, tickle, let me just say, some of you know my feelings about cats, if you've been here for a while, and you would assume with a subject like this that I believe all cats go to hell, and I just want you to know I don't believe that, okay, and so I want to tell you a little story about a good kitty cat, okay, so there's this little good there's this little good kitty cat, and something unfortunate happened, and he died, and he went, you know, to the, to, to cross over, and he coming through the pearly gates, and he meets God. Obviously, this is theologically incorrect for all of you people that are wondering. And, and God sees him and says, you know what, little kitty cat, I think you've been such a good little kitty, and so I want to give you the desires of your heart. What is it that you would want? And the kitty cat says, oh, God, this is just so nice, because my whole life, my whole life, I've had to sleep on hardwood floors and sleep in barns and sleep in the backwoods when I couldn't get in the house. And I got kicked out of my, my, my parents' bedroom. And I always got, you know, hit with a broom. And it was just rough. And God says, oh, I got just the thing for you. I am going to make you the fluffiest pillow in the universe. Poof. Pillow appears. Cat's so excited. He's meow meowing all the way to the pillow. God leaves. Scene two. These six mice have an unfortunate accident, and they die, and they go uh, crossover, and they go to the pearly gates, and God meets them there. And because he's feeling this way towards the cat, he thought, oh, i got to be this way towards the little, the little mice. And so he says to the mice, you know, you guys have been good little mice. What could I do for you? I want to give you the desires of your heart. What could I give you? And so God, they say to God, they say, oh, that is incredible. Our whole life, we've been on the run. We've had to outrun dogs and cats and birds. And, 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 and many of my friends and my cousins and relatives, they didn't make it. God says, oh, I, I, I completely understand. You know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you something that can help you. I'm going to give you customized, individualized roller skates for each one of you. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's incredible, God. They skate off and they go into heaven down the pearly, you know, through the pearly gates and the golden streets. And they're, you know... Riding around fly. Anyway, a couple weeks later, God wants to check on, you know, these, these two. And so he goes up to the cat, and he says, hey, little kitty, kitty, how are things going? The cat's like, oh, God, I've been sleeping so good lately. Oh, and those meals on wheels you keep bringing are incredible. <laughs> See, I love cats. I just wanted to make that clear, okay? I do that because heaven is way easier to talk about than hell. But you can't appreciate heaven without an understanding of hell. One time a drunken guy got on a bus late one night and he stank, staggers kind of through the aisle to get to his seat. And he sits down right beside this elderly lady. And in disgust, she looks at him up and down and she's just kind of frustrated. And she says, young man, you're going go to you're go straight to hell living like that. And with that, the drunk guy jumps up, and, he, and he's running down the aisle, and he's getting ready to go off the bus. And he says, man, I must have got on the wrong bus. <laughs> See, there's a lot of people that are going in the wrong direction, and they don't even realize it. And so this message is to hopefully kind of get your attention on something. In fact, in America today, the polls say this. These are some current statistics, and look at the... 
nuances of these statistics, maybe even some of the inconsistencies. Uh, the question was asked of Americans. Uh, Devin went on the street and he interviewed a bunch of people, and this is what he came up with. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. This would be funny if he did, though. What do you believe about the afterlife? Nine out of ten believe in an afterlife, interestingly enough. 0.5% believe they will go to hell. 0.5% believe they'll go to hell and that they've lived a good enough life for heaven. When that same uh, sample of people are asked specifically about whether or not they're certain about it, 64% said they're somewhat uncertain and very nervous. So the same people that said, oh, I know, 0.5%, only 0.5% thought they were going to hell, when you, when you question a little bit more, 64% were uncertain and nervous. Interestingly enough, 76% of Americans believe they're Christian. So most people believe we have a Christian nation over three-quarters of the country. Because of this label, and it is a label, most people believe they'll end up in heaven. But 7% believe that they've had some sort of life change or defining conversion experience. I'll just let those stats just sit in there, a little bit sobering there. So what I'm trying to tell you is that most people have an uncertainty. Most people have confusion. Most people may even uh, have a deception, uh, a kind of a lie that they bought. And since we only have uh, three score and ten years, according to the Bible, or 70, 80, 90, 100 years, maybe to live this life to make such an incredible decision, we should pay attention to a subject like this. And Jesus and the Bible actually talked about this subject a lot. We dare not kind of uh, uh, cross our fingers and hope we're right. we got to know this is something that we have to talk about. And I'm talking about it because you asked for it. In fact, when we surveyed you at Easter, this was one of the questions you came up with. If I had to pick a subject, I wouldn't have done this one, but you asked for it, okay? So this, this was your question. So, what the hell about hell? <laughs> All right? C.S. Lewis says it like this. The safest road to hell is a gradual one, a gentle slope, a soft underfoot, without any sudden turnings, without milestone, without signposts. So there's this tendency for us sometimes to, I think, ignore or turn down the volume on things or not see some of the signs that are there. Yet the Bible throughout, Jesus talked about hell. It's the top fourth, the fourth most important subject Jesus talked about was hell. Out of all the things he talked about, it's number four. Interesting. It, Jesus talks about it a lot. The Bible mentions it a lot. Uh, you, you, it, you can see from the text that you get this life to determine your, your, your final destination is determined by uh, your decisions and your choices in this life. In fact, the Bible calls this final judgment, where it all kind of comes to a head, uh, 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 an intersection, calls it the great white throne judgment. There are two judgments in the Bible described. One is called the great white throne, and one is called the judgment seat of Christ. At the great white throne judgment, this is, in a, this is about the Son of God. It's all about our association and relationship with Jesus Christ. On this day, when this day happens, billions upon billions of people will be there from Adam and Eve up until that day, and you'll even be there. You'll even be there, Facebook. Everybody who's listening, whether you believe it or not, according to Scripture. The Bible says it's appointed unto every man to die, and after that, the judgment. It's referring to this judgment. Look in your notes. Matthew 25 says it like this. So it's going to be a little tight, uh, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to unpack with some hope. So just hang on here. But pay attention. It's very important for you personally. Matthew 25, 31 says, 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations, this is talking about the great white throne judgment, all the nations will be gathered before him, all the people groups, all the ethnos uh, groups will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 46 says, and then some will go away into eternal punishment. And it, but the righteous to eternal life. There'll be this split in the road on that day. Two places where all we are human beings having, where, where, where people having a, where eternal beings having a human experience. In other words, you're going to live somewhere forever. You are an eternal being, but where you live forever is up to what you do in the now, in the here and now. And so my, my, my goal is to kind of, Deal with some and dispel some of the myths about uh, this subject of hell. What would it be like is, you know, if you could go to hell and come back? It's interesting that we hear stories. I have many over the course of my life of people who went to heaven and came back. You don't hear that many of, about people that go to hell and back. Um, but if you could talk to a person uh, who thought they had more time but you knew they didn't, what would you say? What would the, what would the message be? What if you found out that... Based on your belief system, there's not a party on the other side, like some people believe. What if you found out that your current belief system, your religion, uh, couldn't get, get you there? What if you thought, well, I'm just going to have a little bit of fun now, but I'll get serious later, but later wasn't possible. What if you thought if you lived a certain way, a successful life, and you kept, the, you know, a lot, the, you did more rights than wrongs, that wasn't good enough? I want to answer some of those questions to the best of my ability and talk to you about some realities about hell. The first reality is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. According to the Bible, and again, we connect, exalt Scripture above tradition and certainly above the opinions of man. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, We cannot base what we believe on human tradition or the philosophies of this world, but on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, in fact, good doctrine. He is the perfect embodiment of our belief systems. Is everybody with me? And so when you're hearing what you're hearing, you can dismiss it very quickly if you're listening online or listening here if you don't subscribe to the scriptures. We do. We, we, I, it's our life manual. It's what we base them on. And so what I do is I just unpack those for you in a way that you can understand them in relevant terms. And you're going to have to decide whether you believe them or not. But let me just tell you something. Take it seriously. What if, I would just say to some of you that might be skeptic, what if what if God's right? What if, what if the way that I'm communicating this is right? Please take heed. It's very important. Hell, number one, is a literal place. It's a literal place. C.S. Lewis, an incredible Christian author, says, I've met no people who fully believe in hell who have living and life-giving belief in heaven. So you, you have to have one with the other. There's, it's kind of axiomatic. You, you, can't, you can't have freedom without boundaries. You can't have a joy without pain. You can't have peanut butter without jelly, okay? <laughs> you can't have heaven without hell, all right? You can't have good without evil, all right? You can't have mercy without justice. Is everybody tracking with me, all right? Okay, so hell, according to Scripture, is not a symbol or a feeling. It's a place, according to Matthew 26, 41b, not in your notes, it's a place that was created by God for, for Satan and his angels. So hell was never created for you. It's unfortunately being populated by people 
who don't accept what Jesus did for them, but originally it was created for the rebellion of Satan and his and one-third of the angels that rebelled against him. God created it for them, not for you. But some of us don't have a reservation in the book of life. You don't understand how important it is, but sometimes you can't get into a place without a reservation. And I'm just telling you, you can't get into heaven without a reservation in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 21.8 says, Their place, speaking of those who are, don't have a reservation, will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now let me unpack something for you because that's a little confusing. And this will be um, interesting for some of you and new to some of you as well. The Bible refers to different types of death. Uh, there is a first death, there's a second death, and for some there'll be no death. So some of us will experience a physical death, but because of our relationship with God, because of our association through the Son, it is through the Son that we are set free, it's through the Son that we find and receive salvation according to John chapter 14 verse 6 and many other texts that I could reference. It's through the Son that we have eternal life. So some of us will die physically, but we won't experience a second death. We won't, there's two types of death. There's a physical death, and then there's a separation from God eternally. That's referred to as the second death. Is everybody with me? So some people will experience a first death, and then they'll experience a second. They'll be separated from God. Some of us will have a physical death, but then we'll be with God forever. And get this. Some of us, should the Lord tarry, what does that mean? If he comes back, we believe that he, the second coming of Christ is imminent. We don't know when or where. According to Scripture, only God knows. But it looks like, and all the signposts say, it's soon. I'm praying for the fact that Jesus will come back. And he'll come through the eastern sky. He won't be a Savior and Lord. He'll be the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he'll be coming for his bride to take him back. And you won't experience death in this life. And you won't experience eternal separation, the second death. How many know that's what I'm praying for? Amen. That's why you want to be up in church and you want to be connected to, to God and you want to make sure that the bride is ready for the groom when he comes back. And this time when he's coming back, he's not coming back all nice. He's coming back as a king. He's coming back to have dominion. Is everybody with me? So the outcome of eternal death is a lost relationship with God forever. And the outcome of eternal life is reconciled relationship with God forever. John 17, 3, not in your notes, it says, this is eternal life that they, us, might know thee, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you receive what Jesus did for you and come into relationship. That, can ha that has to happen now in this life. So if, if eternal life is just when you die, then we'd all just, we'd all just you know, take me out now, you know, or, or we just wait until after and then make the decision. No, no, we have this life, this temporary assignment in this temporal world, in this test we could call life, to make a decision whether we receive him. And as soon as we do, eternity begins then. We're with him forever. Whether we're in this body or absent from it, we're present with the Lord. You guys getting something out of that out here? Okay. Now, the Bible uses different terms to describe hell. And there's a, a now hell and there's a later hell. And, and the now hell uh, in, the, in the Old and New Testament, there's two words. In the, in the New Testament, the word is Hades. In the Old Testament, the word is Sheol. 
And there's another word I'll get to in a second that Jesus uses as well to describe or to description of hell to motivate us not to go there. But Hades or Sheol, same word, just one language and another, use it differently. In Hades or Sheol, there are two regions. Currently, when people die, they go to an upper region, that's for believers, awaiting judgment day. Awaiting when we'll all be before God and when God separates the sheep from the goats. And then there's a lower region. Those are people who didn't believe while they were in this life. They're already judged. Jesus, after he died on the cross to fulfill all righteousness and to conquer all realms, all, it's called the heavenlies, the, 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 the heavens, uh, the earth, and beneath the earth, Jesus, to exercise dominion over all of that, he not only rose and ascended into heaven, he not only conquered uh, uh, you know, sin in this earth, but he went down into the grave and he preached the gospel to those people who were in Hades so, that, so they could get the full gospel, they could see the full picture, so when they stood before God, they could stand with confidence, understanding what he was up to. Jesus did that to conquer all realms. Is everybody with me so far? And so that's kind of when you see those words... You understand there's a temporary place where they are now, but ultimately we'll all be there. Every single person from, the be- from Adam and Eve to present will be there on Judgment Day. Now, Jesus uses another word to... De- are you guys getting something out of this? I told you it wouldn't be boring, okay? It's a hot topic. Okay, so Jesus also used another word when he was alive on the earth to describe hell, and he, he used this word Gehenna. So when you see that in the Bible, Gehenna, what, what was he doing? He was connecting with the audience, Okay, so he knew they would understand what hell was like. You always see terms, you know, this, this term is like or was like. He, he'd always use that. Why? He's creating contrast to help you connect and understand and so that you're motivated to do right or, or avoid wrong. So he used the term Gehenna, which at that time was a dump outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it's where they took trash and burned things and the fires never went out. Never, ever, ever went out. And he's basically saying, that's what hell is like. And when he's talking about it, it's in Luke uh, chapter, I don't know, 16 or something like that. It's talking about the story. Luke 16, yeah. It's talking about Abraham's bosom is the topic. And I know that's crazy for you, but it's this chasm. And so this rich guy dies, and then this, this, um, this infirm person dies. And the rich guy had all he wanted in life, lived for himself. And the infirm guy had eternity with God. And there was this grand separation. And while this rich person was there, you can see certain things that are realities of hell. You can see that people are suffering terribly. You can see that he was fully conscious. You can see that he retained his desires and memories. You can see that there was torment you could see he was bereft of hope he had no hope you could you jesus was painting this extremely descriptive picture of hell so nobody would want to go there jesus talked about it a lot because he was trying sometimes you use negative reinforcement to make a positive connection you do it as parents all the time and a good good father and the son of god will always try to do something that's in your best interest even if you don't like what is being said can i have an amen so at this point in my life, as a motivation and as a testimony, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of getting dead. I, I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me after I die. I just don't want to die. I don't want to go through the process. Okay, but death, according to scriptures for me, and some of you and many of you, has lost its sting. See, what makes the sting of death so powerful and fearful is we don't know what's on the other side. And you can, and you can. 
And some of you can avoid that. Here's another thing. Hell is a dark place. It's a literal place. It's a dark place. I'm going to move faster. If you've bought into the lie that some has that it may not be that much fun, but at least my friends will be there. (laughs) Well, you ain't going to be able to see them, okay? Because they may be there, but it's going to be so dark. It's total darkness according to Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. It just says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You won't be able to see. Some, some, some people think, the, I think, one of the ultimate torments is complete darkness. Not being able to find your way, not knowing where you are. The disorienting, confusing, tormenting aspects of darkness. Another thing the Bible says is that hell is, this is the best word I can use, is an awful place. I don't know how to describe it any better than that, but it's miserable, it's painful, it's continuous sadness. Matthew 13, 42, right out of your Bible, says they will throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping. That's ultimate sadness. And the gnashing of teeth, that's ultimate pain. Moving quickly, hell is a permanent place. This is a big one. Hell is a permanent place. Uh, sometimes people, I've had this asked to me, Pastor D, when I get there, can I get out? Is there any way out once I get there? What's the combo? You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and one of the um, one of the false doctrines that's out there, you can look it up for yourself. I would I would know I would know your Bible before you Google something. But one of the false doctrines out there is no is called ultimate reconciliation. Ultimate reconciliation. What is that? It basically means that uh, though you've done things wrong and people have done things wrong, uh, you will ultimately be reconciled and God will forgive everyone of all of their sins. And and this doctrine, people believe, even includes Satan. Even includes him, which is an absolutely bogus doctrine. There's just a couple reasons why it's bogus. The problem I have with that is there's no merit for living a godly life. If, if there is ultimate reconciliation, what is the motivation for living an upright and godly life and trying to do your best to please the Lord? We're not saved by works, but we're saved for good works. Can I have an amen? There'd be no motivation for that. Even more offensive... Uh, to, in regards to this doctrine is um, it totally negates the work of the cross. Why would, Jesus, why would God the Father have to send his son Jesus into the world to pay for sin so we could receive forgiveness if ultimately we're all going to be forgiven? I wouldn't give my son for any of you all if ultimately you're just going to be forgiven anyway. What was the point of that then, right? It's an offense to the finished work of the cross. Now, let me be sensitive with this next statement because many of you, most of you come from a Catholic background. I make little jokes sometimes, but uh, they're said with affection. But some people believe in purgatory. It is a halfway place, uh, basically, and this is a summary, to sort things out and pray people out. Uh, and according, let me just say it like this, it doesn't work. It doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. Again, we subscribe to the scriptures. I wish it did. I want it to work. But you, will, you can read your Bible cover to cover. I'm just telling you, I've done it a bunch of times. You'll never see that word in there. So what you have to decide is, are we going to exalt what man says or what God's word says? And so we're saying, in our beliefs, we base our beliefs, we base our convictions on what God's word says. And you won't see that. Nowhere in the Bible it can't be found. Additionally, some people think with this idea that you can pray souls into heaven out of hell. They even believe you can do good things to get him or her who've done bad things and upgrade them to heaven. It's just not in the Bible. So it's, it's a permanent place. It's a, it's a, um, 
it's a, it's, it's, there's an irreconcilable situation that requires divine intervention. And so Matthew 25, 46 says, Then they will go away to eternal, not temporary, punishment. The righteous will have uh, eternal life. Now here's some good news. Everybody say good news. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, phew, it's about time. It's getting hot in here. Can we, can we turn the AC down? Okay, hell is an avoidable place. Hell is an avoidable place. You don't have to go. Again, you know God never intended it. John 3.16. Everybody in the world should know this text if you're a scripture. Okay? This is what's always there at the football games if you didn't see it in your Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. Okay? God, he loves the whole world. He's made a way for everybody to be right with him. Verse 17 goes on to say uh, the, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. That, no, he didn't condemn people. God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world through him, who's him, Jesus, might be saved. Okay? So that's his heart. That's God the Father's heart, and that's the son's mission for us. Jesus offers us loads of peace, boatloads. That's funny for those of you here last week. Boatloads of peace, boatloads of happiness, boatloads of purpose. But the primary reason he came was that everyone, listen, was headed in the wrong direction and had to be redirected. Everybody, by default, because of faults, is heading to hell. All roads don't lead to heaven. According to Scripture, all roads lead to hell. Woo, let that one sit in for a second, okay? Why do we have to start here, PD, okay? Well, first, you have to understand that God created man to have fellowship with him, but the Bible says man went his own way. See, he gave us this thing that sometimes I'm like, why did you give me this thing? It's called free will. Like, can you just make me do what I'm supposed to? But see, he wanted us to choose to love him, choose to follow him, choose to live a blessed life and not a cursed life. We, but we, many of us chose sin instead of him. We've all done that. We've done it by, by, uh, by default, and we've done it after made many decisions that are a fault. And so the penalty of these choices, the penalty of uh, generational sin is an eternal separation from God. Therefore, the starting point and the finish line for our life is hell without some intervention. Intervention. So God chose a, pla- a, a path and a plan for us, and he, he decided to sort things out for us. And, but, but because we chose certain things, we chose our destination. Verse 18 says it like this of John 3. There's no judgment awaiting those who trust him. So if you transfer trust from you to him, from something else and someone else to the son, there's no judgment for you. But look at this. It says, but those who do not trust him have already been judged. There's already a default. It's already been decided for not believing in the only son of God. Let me say it like this. A good judge, let's just say there was a criminal, uh, a serial killer, a mass murderer. When he gets to the courtroom, it is not the judge that sentenced him to death row. He sentenced himself. It, the murderer sentenced himself. The judge does not sense. We wouldn't wait. We wouldn't say, excuse me, a judge is responsible for the man being sentenced to death. We would say his actions are responsible for the murders uh, that he committed. So it is with us, with God. He doesn't send anyone there. We already have that condition. And so the real question is, how can I get out of hell? No, that's really not the question. All roads are leading not to heaven but to hell. The real question is, how can I escape it? And I want you to see this from the word of God. God created a great escape. 
and it's better than roller skates for mice, okay? The, the great escape is referenced in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what it says. How shall we escape? In other words, you can't ignore this plan and this reason Jesus came. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? In other words, you can't escape if you ignore this plan of God. And so Jesus didn't come to find out who is naughty or nice. He's not Santa Claus. He's a savior. He was coming to rescue you. And you cannot be saved if you do not realize that you are lost. You cannot be rescued if you do not realize that you are drowning. He's a savior. Number one, write this down. God wants everyone to be saved. You need to know this. He is no, according to scripture, respecter of persons from Hitler to the Pope. Everyone in between, God came to save everybody, every single person. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all men, that word is ethnos, all of mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Not in your notes, it's 2 Peter 3.9 for all you extra note takers. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. What is he talking about? What is Peter saying? He's basically saying is some people are looking at the heavens and saying, God, why don't you get down here and fix this crazy, nuts, screwed up world right now? Do you see what's happening? Why aren't you coming? And Jesus is like, I want to, I want to. And God the Father is holding him back. You know why? Not because he's slow, but because he's patient. The Bible says he is patient with you with you listening online, not wanting anyone to perish. What does that mean, perish? Have eternal separation from God, the second death. But everyone, everybody say everyone. He wants everyone to, to come to repentance. What does that mean? He wants everyone to choose the plan of salvation. This is for everybody. But, but if the second coming comes, it's too late. He's coming as a king, and he's calling his kids home at that particular time. Well, how could God send, how could a loving God send people to hell? Listen, he is desperate. He's so desperate to employ this rescue plan that he would give his son for you as a substitute for your sinful behavior and my sinful behavior. I don't know about you, but I love this church. I love this people. I, honestly, I, I, I'll give almost anything, but i tell you what I wouldn't give. I wouldn't give my son. If it came down to you or Devin, see you later. It was nice knowing you. It was nice knowing you. That's how much. Devin's, Devin's thanking God over there. He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure until I got it out. <laughs> listen, listen. That's how much he loved you. That's how preoccupied he, he, he saw your hell condition, and he let his son be the substitute for that. I don't get a love like Like, I don't get it. You know what? It, it's just overwhelming. Yep, that's the point. Because here's, this will come in later. When you're overwhelmed by that kind of love, you can't help but give it away to somebody else. The reason some people don't talk to people about their faith in Jesus Christ is because they, they haven't had a full revelation of what Jesus did for them. You'll always give away something. You have a powerful... He who's been forgiven much, loveth much. He who knows that, that they were on death row can't wait to get as many people off death row as possible. See, sometimes I don't think we get it because we haven't had a good understanding of hell. Mm. So, how could a supposed good God do this? The truth is, again, he did. Let me give you a classic question, and then I'm going to go really fast, okay? Would, would, Pastor Derek, would God send someone to hell who never heard the gospel? Uh, have you ever thought of that question before? 
In other words, if someone never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, what about them? What if they were alive before Jesus Christ appeared? What if in some remote part of the world they never heard the gospel? Okay, this is, this is a funny story. My dad, my dad is, you don't, you don't know my dad, some of you, but some of you, many of you do. My dad started this whole thing, and, and I'm his successor. And, but he was an atheist. He was an angry atheist. And those two things always go together. And he was, he was mad at God, and, and he, didn't, he said he didn't believe in God. He's really just mad at God. Ultimately, my daddy, who was a wife-beaten, camel-smoking, bourbon-drinking, two-fisted atheist, bent his knee to Jesus Christ and surrendered to the gospel, the good news, and realized that he needed a Savior. And he was in a church service just like this, and there was a preacher just like me, and he preached the gospel, and it made sense to him. And back then, the pastor would call everybody down front. And aren't you glad that doesn't happen anymore? And he took them all in a back room. Aren't you glad that didn't happen anymore? Well, we're doing it today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not doing it today. So anyway, my daddy came down front. As he starts to come out of his seat, because they would always, you know, Sur I surrender all, and the music's playing, and he's coming down. As he's starting to, he starts to second-guess himself. He's starting to freak out. He's like, I don't know about this. This might be just emotion. And the pastor, come on, Ernie, come on, Ernie, come to the back. And he gets to the back room, and a few people start talking, one by one, talking with the pastor. Well, my dad got together with the senior pastor. And right before the senior pastor starts saying a few things to him, kind of massaging the emotions of my father, because he was a little scared. And also, my dad's strong personality. He goes, Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, Pastor. Hold up, Rev. Hold up, Rev. He goes, before I sign anything, pray anything. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you tell me, if God's such a loving God, what about all those, all those aborigines in other parts of the world never heard this message before? What about them? And so this pastor, he's so smart. He goes, Ernie, when have you ever cared about the aborigines in Africa? And my dad goes, touche, let's pray. That's how he got saved, everybody. That's how he got saved. I freaking love that. That is so awesome. In other words, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. And let me tell you something. God's not going to let anybody off with excuses like that. In fact, he's made himself known to everybody. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. i got to unpack this so fast, but this is what it says. You should dig into this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress, circle that word, the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest, circle these two words, in them, for God has shown it, circle these two words, to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that everybody doesn't have an excuse. What is that saying? It's basically saying that God testifies to us since the foundations of the world through creation and all the things that can be seen and internally he does it in our conscience. Creation, conscious, uh, internal, external. No matter what, he's done it so that we are all without excuse. But the reason sometimes we don't get that revelation and the reason sometimes we block what he shows us through creation is because our wicked behavior suppresses the truth. See, it starts to block it. See, you're not going to be able to get before God and say, God, you never told me. Nobody, you can't get before God and say, nobody ever told me. God's going to say, I told you. I told you myself. That's what Romans 1, 18 is telling us. So every person who wants to find God can find God. You can come to God. But because we keep going our own way, because we keep sometimes walking away, the truth is 
Our wickedness can reduce our ability to receive the truth. Sin reduces our ability to see the path of life. But as we continue to walk in the light, the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. The Bible says that in John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And my Father will love those who love me. And I too will love them and reveal myself to them. It's amazing. So God, God has has shown himself, God has revealed himself to everyone. He, God will never render an unjust judgment. Number two, God, God provided a way of escape. Everybody say a way. The way is through the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 17, it basically talks about two Adams. The first Adam brought sin into the world, and the second Adam, Jesus, took sin away from the world. Acts 4.12 says, salvation's in no one else, only God. So th- when you get before God, it won't, when you stand at the great white throne judgment, listen, it won't be a sin issue then. It will be a son issue. What's up with you and my kid? Well, I did more good than bad. Eh, survey says. Uh, you know, I followed, I went to Connect Church for 15 years. Eh, what's up with you and my son? It's going to all be about the son because good people don't get into heaven. Forgiven people get into heaven. Amen. Number three, God invites you to receive salvation. See, I'll say it like this. Hell is a place people can go who insist on paying for their own sins instead of letting Jesus pay for your sins. It's such a good deal. That's why it's called good news. You don't have to pay for them. You just have to accept Jesus paid for them. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us and how great is the love the Son has given for us. And so what the church is doing now, listen to me, be still, is constantly throwing lifelines at you. Those of you who are listening online, there's just these lifelines that are being tossed at you. And you have choices. And you won't always have those choices. The Bible says that God will not always strive with the hearts of men. What does that mean? He won't keep, he, it won't always be an offer. That invitation won't forever be there. There's no promise of tomorrow. One time I was, I was talking to a friend because I was so convicted by the subject of hell and heaven. And he was 35 years old and he was wrestling with cancer. And it was on a Saturday. And my, I, my office used to be downstairs here. And I said, listen, <laughs> I talked about my faith. I shared what was going on. I said, there's no promise you'd be healed in this life, but you can be healed eternally. I said, you need to know Jesus. He said, I've been raised a Catholic my whole life. I said, do you have confidence because of your Catholic background that you'll, when you die, you'll be with God? He said, no, I don't. He'd taken communion a million times. He'd done up, down, turnarounds his whole life. I said, you can be certain because God invites you into a relationship with him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can be saved. For it's the heart we believe and it's with the mouth we confess. Those two things married together, and today can be the day of salvation. You know what? He got right on his knees, 35 years old, and he gave his life. His name was Kevin. He gave his life to Jesus. And we wept together. I remember I had his, <laughs> had his head right here. He was stage four cancer in my, in my belly. And two days later, he died. And I'm going to see Kevin one day because he accepted the invitation, and he accepted the intervention of the Son of God. Can I have an amen? Would you put your notes away? Would you put your Bibles away? I want to pray for you. And I'd like you to be very still.
Jesus. If you're listening online, this is still an opportunity for you to make a connection. I'm going to pray for two groups of people. I actually believe that the existence of hell in some respects is the ultimate sign of God's love. Because if you're a parent, you create boundaries for your kids. And though your kids won't like those boundaries, they're grateful ultimately because it saves their lives. It's ironic that we see that when we're raising kids, but we don't see that God the Father's done that. How can a loving God not create hell? How can there not be an ultimate boundary? Absolute love requires absolute free will, but absolute love requires absolute boundaries. If you're here today, the first group, I want to pray for you, and you've never of your own free will accepted absolute love. Jesus died for you, paid for your sins, and the penalty of that sin was eternal separation from God and he made a way for you to be right standing with God and you've never made that decision before the Bible says today is the day of salvation for you now is your big day there's no promise of tomorrow please don't please please listen like my friend Kevin did and I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you I'm just trying to get you to see with a sense of urgency why not today what if it's true go all in And if that's you and you know God is speaking to you, I want you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just be courageous so I can see you. Don't do it halfway. Do it all the way. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want salvation day. I want another day to go by. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Good and high. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Thank you, sister. I thank you for that hand. Thank you so much. You can put. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir, ma'am. Thank you. Together I see those hands. Thank you. You can put your hands down. That's awesome. Church, I want, to, I, want to pray with, I want to pray with them. Body of Christ, would you come together and surround them with your prayers? And those that raise your hand, would you say this prayer? It's simple, but it's so meaningful. Just say this. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I transfer trust from what I could do and somebody else could do to what you did for me already. I receive by grace through faith the gospel, the good news. My sins are paid. I owed a debt. I couldn't pay, and he paid my debt, and he made a way. I thank you in Jesus' name for salvation. Now, Father, I pray you seal that prayer to the day of judgment, that they be able to stand before you one day, and they'll be saying, it wasn't because I went to connect that church. It was because I made a decision to associate with the Son of God, and because of that, I'm saved, and now I have a reservation in heaven. Now I want to pray for a second group of people, and this applies to many of you, so don't check out. Listen, listen, listen. I think, it's, I think if we understood this, we would care more about other people. I really do. I think it would motivate us. I think it would change us. I think we would live our life differently. I think we wouldn't behave uh, the same way. And so this is a gentle rebuke. If a doctor told you you had a fatal disease, but he didn't tell you there was a cure, you would think that is cruel. And you know that there are people here in the world today that have a fatal disease and it is a hell condition, it is a sinful condition and there is a cure and it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and if you won't give that cure away, you're telling people you can go to hell I'll let that sit for a second it needs to sit in my soul too and if you know the Holy Spirit is not condemning you but he's convicting you and you need to be bold and you need to when the opportunity pops up speak up and share your faith you need to give away what people need is escape from this sin condition you know that it's the most important thing they need to escape 
And God's speaking to you about that. You want to get better at that. You want to change your life in that. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I need to be bold. I need to be one who shares my faith. I want to be a messenger all over the room. I don't want to miss out. I don't want anybody to miss out. I don't want to be in heaven and my loved ones not be there. My neighbors not be there. My coworkers not be there. I don't want their blood to be on my hands. With every head, every head still bowed, but those hands up. Just keep those hands up. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person that you would touch their hand, oh God, and that you would touch their lips, oh God, and that you would touch, more importantly, their hearts, that they would see that it's care that trumps competence, that they not buy the lie. I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. God, I pray that your anointing, in Jesus' name, would work through them and flow through them, that when those moments come up, those defining moments, those crucial conversations, that the love of Christ would come over them, and they would give away what God has given them. Give them a deeper revelation of heaven and hell and good and evil and the things that are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And I pray that you change them from the inside out in Jesus' name. And all the God's church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. God bless you, everybody.